yo, 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 it's your boy EJ Smith, and this is the Breakfast for Dinner podcast, where we talk about sports such as basketball, soccer, UFC, and everything in between. Now, I have a special guest with me. Um, we're going to see if we can get him on the call. <clears throat> he is, um, his name is Matt Hunter. Hello, Matt, you there? Yeah, do you hear me? Yeah, 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 man. What's up, dude? What's up? What's up? So let's get into it, man. It's 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 Fight Island. Um, what? It's gonna be the third fight, third third time they fought fought on Fight Island. Well, technically it's the fourth, right? With the pay per view, uh, but yeah. Fight Island Three is what they're calling it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fi Three. Right. I like that. <sighs> so let's 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 talk about let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about the very first one. Um, the Usman. The 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 Alexander and the Holloway, and then uh, the Rose Namajunas and all that. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that, man. How do you feel about that first show out, that first pay per view uh, on Fire Island? I thought it was a great event. Obviously, I thought from top to bottom it was a pretty solid event. Even the prelims were really entertaining and had a lot to like go into and find value in and divisional relevance actually as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously the main card was a really good main card. Um, it, in terms of just being a big event, it was a big event. I mean, we have Mike Cobbinger reporting that it was 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. Yep. Dave Meltzer yep. reporting that it was 875,000 pay-per-view buys. So anywhere between that range, it was a massive success, uh, for two guys that just a year ago, we wouldn't say are this type of paper, pay-per-view draw. Literally wasn't relevant. I wouldn't say relevant, but they weren't, you know, big. You know what I, mean? No, I mean, especially Usman, yeah. like Masvidal was always a little bit of a hardcore darling in a way, even like in strike force and yep. back then and mm-hmm. uh, him getting, uh, you know, flying submissioned in yep. Bellator. Like we always knew who Masvidal was, mm. but Usman was always under the radar, even when he was on tough when it was, uh, uh, was it with the, the, the black zillions versus, um, uh, American top, American team, top team in that yeah, whole season. Right. Mm-hmm, yep. He was always kind of the, guy that went under the radar, even though he was the winner of that mm-hmm. season. He was, he was, yep. He was the and horse, yep. it's just, it's so surprising and, and honestly cool to see that this main event, these top three fights all got the buzz and hype that they should have got. Cause these top three fights, even the Jose Aldo and Peter Jan fight, I thought mm-hmm. was a really good fight going it into was. it. And obviously going out of it, it was still a great fucking fight. That was just a little bit depressing to watch as a Jose Aldo fan. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought the card was fantastic. I mean, there's really not a lot to, to hate on, to criticize. But so we're, we're, we're coming on from, a, we're, we are both coming on from an analyst perspective, right? But what about a, a fight fan perspective? You know, um, uh, do you, do you, do you really think Jose Aldo deserved that title fight? No, over, no, over, he, over Morales. No. Because, no, he, you, I, you know what I mean? Well, first off, yeah, I mean, he loses to Marlon Marais, even though we can argue that Jose Aldo even won that fight because I thought Jose Aldo won the fight, but digressing doesn't really matter. He lost the fight. Mm. The fight that should have been for the vacant title should have been Algerman Sterling versus Cody Sanhagen. Um, oh, my goodness. I, th- I, I, think, I think the UFC doesn't like Algerman Sterling going back when he tested free agency way back in the day when, you know, Benson Henderson and Phil Davis all left to Bellator. Aldrin Sterling was the first one of that group, actually. People forget about that. Mm-hmm. He just stayed with the UFC. He liked his deal. I think he actually lost his fight before going into free agency. So that actually hurt a lot of his negotiation power, 
I want to say, I could be wrong about that yeah. uh, from memory. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I'm not opposed uh, to what the UFC did here. Cause it's prize fighting in a way. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that Aljamain Sterling and Cody Sanhagen should have got the nod for the vacant mm-hmm. title. Yeah. Um, this probably would have been my second fight to make. If not Marlon Marais versus Peter Yan. I don't know why. Marlon Marais didn't get the nod for this one. That's just weird. It's and, just it's and, it's odd that Jose Aldo did. Peter Yan being in it, not mm-hmm, too much. Mm-hmm. Jose Aldo should not have been in this fight in any way. And let me tell you this, Matt. This bantamweight division, and I've been telling people, all my MMA friends, all all, all of them, I've been telling them that this bantamweight division is literally the cream of the crop, the best division in the UFC, in my opinion. You got and it. It's not too surprising because if you look at like boxing, because I come from more of a boxing industry, right? I come from more of that side of it than MMA. Mm. You know, 135 pounds is the lightweight division Mm. in boxing. It's, Mm. you know, Roberto Duran, Floyd Mayweather, you know, you talk about Penelope Whitaker, like legends in that division, right? Uh, It's not surprising that MMA has found that bantamweight can be a home for a really strong, you know, stacked division of elite talent because, I think a lot of fighters in terms of just size and stuff, they mm-hmm. kind of are around that five, six to five, eight, 135 to 155 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are like that. If you go to any boxing gym, MMA gym, a lot of them are around that size. So it's not mm-hmm. too surprising. You know, we talk about obviously with, uh, in combat sports, the lack of heavyweight depth, right. Due to, mm-hmm. due to mainstream sports appealing to larger athletes, right. Yes. NFL, NBA, et cetera. Obviously, we get the kickback of smaller athletes are going to excel in this sport. We're going to have a lot of them. You know, we, we've been talking about the UFC lightweight division for so long because that was the mm-hmm. for so long the you know smallest we got. And then in what 2010, right, 2011, when they folded WEC in, we got featherweight and obviously bantamweight, and then we obviously had to flyweight after that. Yes, um, I think we're going to get into it probably later on with the Davidson Figueroa fight. I mean, even flyweight oh has a gosh. lot of gems in it. Let me you tell know, you something about that Figueredo fight. Oh my God! Hoo-hoo. Let me tell. You, I, I, and 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 uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but uh, oh okay. my God, the, the 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 show that he just put on, it was. Uh, and and, I, and and forgive me because I don't know anything about the flyweight except for literally those two, Figueredo and and Benavides. I, I need to do my homework a little more. But let me tell you something. Benavides is no slouch. He is no. absolutely no slouch. And the fact that he got, what's the, what I want? He just got owned. I, want, I, I don't want to even say owned. He just got mauled got in there. He got manhandled oh twice. You know, like take, take away the headbutt in the first fight. He still got manhandled in that fight. Uh, Davidson Figueredo has been somebody that for a lot of us hardcores, we've been peeped on him for a while. We've been aware of him for quite some time. Um, yeah, he's going to be something. And yeah. I think he can move up to 135, no issue, and have a lot of violent action there. So that should be fun. And that and that's what I'm saying. I feel like these flyweights just I'm not going to say it's a dead division cuz again, I don't I don't I don't I don't know enough in that flyweight division, but I feel like those boys can definitely bang with with the with the with the uh with a uh, bigger bantamweights. Yep, with the bantamweights. Yes. Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um I think that 125 is 125 is an issue of lack of like trying mm-hmm. by the UFC side. Not that there's not talented fighters worldwide mm-hmm. at 125 pounds. Yep. There is. I mean, the greatest fighter of all time left the UFC. Talk about it. 
you know, like think about it. Like we do have really talented fighters. Or, you know, Horiguchi over in Japan, you know, he's been a talented top 10 perennial guy for a long time. Facts. Um, and plus, if you go back to like Sengoku and Shudo back way back in, you know, Japanese mm-hmm. MMA, mm-hmm. there's a plethora of Asian MMA talent that's around that size that the UFC just never really tried to tap into and never really seemed to care. Um, similar to in ways uh, like UFC's sort of ventures into Mexico have always been a little bit haphazard and yep, half-assed yep. yeah, yeah, to a degree. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I, I don't think there's anyone in that executive room that knows how to actually maneuver those markets in those countries. I'm telling you, man, I feel like, I feel like it's more of, you know, business moves, you know, not even that they just care about the money instead of finding really good talent, not even good, just potential. You know what I and, mean? And something that, it's not an issue of money over not money. It's the mm. issue of easy money over mm. working for money. Like mm-hmm. that's like to put it to put it in ways that Dana White, I Bell know tour. can understand, right? Bell like tour. you're, you're just being lazy, Dana. Like you want to go to your NCAA wrestlers mm. that you can find, mm. you can find all of them right in the U S and super easy because mm. there's no pro level after the college and the Olympics. Mm. Instead of trying and actually investing time and resources into UFC Mexico, UFC Japan, stuff yep, like that, yep, yep. places where they could really cultivate a lot of talent, um, they don't try. And yep. I understand that to a degree. Like the UFC is already in a lot it's of already, ways maxed it's out. Already in talent. Already, it's already grounded. Yeah, they already have a, a huge monopsony power of, mm. over the industry. So they don't need it per se, yep. but they can absolutely add it. If they wanted a strong 125-pound division, they can absolutely do it with time and effort. If they wanted a bunch of Mexican talent and build, you know, UFC Mexico, they can do that really With, easily. They mm-hmm. just don't try. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I feel like so, somebody that tries, man, uh, the, the UFC owner, or not the UFC owner, the um, the Bellator owner, man, he he definitely invests in, invests in his fighters, man. Uh, uh, he, has a, he has a few uh, fighters. Uh, and I like... I like how the format is. I don't know if the UFC would ever do this, but I like the tournament format. Um, I didn't want, as a matter of fact, I tell you back, Dan White would never implement this. <laughs> but um, I really like that format to where, yeah, you won the belt, but let me tell you something. You're just the number one seed. You got to win it all over again, baby. You got to win it all over again. Um, but yeah, no, Bell- Bellator is, is, has been a rival for UFC for a minute, man. But um, it, uh, it's... It's on. It's on the up and up, but you know, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're all focused on UFC right now. But um, Fight Island, man. I I how, and I have a question. How do you feel about the smaller ring, the smaller octagon compared to the bigger octagon that we're used to? Do you think that's an advantage uh, for the fighters? Or I'm I know from I think it was either like Mike Bond or like Mookie Alexander, like somebody um that came up and said like it from our, from the data we've collected over the last few events, right. Mm-hmm. That have had these smaller cages that, you know, um, the apex center. And now obviously at fight Island, we used to think that you would get more finishes with smaller cages. That's not, a, that's not true in terms mm-hmm. of all this data we've collected over these past few months. Yep. Um, I will say from just personal experience, being in rings, being in cages, mm-hmm. it does make a difference, but it's one that, you just adjust to mm-hmm. like, you know, like if you've been in any big 
or any boxing gym or any, you know, uh, MMA gym that yeah. has, but especially boxing gyms, you're going to see more, more often than a, a MMA gym, yeah. MMA gyms, you might get a single cage and that's it. And yeah. a lot of mats, but boxing gyms, you're going to see two rings of different mm-hmm. sizes. You can see mm-hmm. the small ring and the big ring. Mm-hmm. And you will go one day sparring the small ring and one day sparring the big ring and you're going to alternate back and forth. And that's just how you get used to dealing and adapting your game and your strategy to smaller geography, so to speak. Now, um, um, back to the okay. Let's 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 start with this, man. Mm-hmm. Um, Rose Namajunas versus Andreas. That was an amazing fight. It was. Um, I feel like Rose was definitely using her jab to her fullest. She was, you know, sticking and moving. Um, she did, she didn't get caught with any any clinches, any grabs. You know, uh, she had a really good takedown defense uh, for the most part. She's very lengthy, man. Do you think? Do you think she's gonna? You think she's gonna be another a champion again? Do you think it's so? Hard, it's hard to say because I think really Zhang is something else. I think she is a supreme talent. God tier. Uh, yeah, she is something else. I remember when she beat up Tisha Torres way back mm-hmm. in the day. Like, yeah way back in the day right mm-hmm. uh it, oh, it don't was, don't don't show your age now don't show your age it, it was only like two years ago that's the funny part it was way back in the day um she was lights out dominant and yeah. in terms of that size that aggression and using it perfectly she did it and mm-hmm. she's done it in almost every fight and i think she's going to give thug rose a lot of issues mm-hmm. i think jessica andrade showed that thug rose can be pressured can she be beat the, the punch a lot she of times the, the, yeah. the problem with Andrade is that she had the head movement down in terms of like making mm. uh thug rose miss a lot she never made her pay for those misses you know mm-hmm. like whenever you make mm-hmm. someone miss you're supposed to make them pay mm-hmm. and that's what you like the day one of teaching counter boxing or counter striking is yep. is that if you make them if you slip and you make a miss st- throw a counter strike you gotta make them pay because otherwise you are just allowing them to gauge and read your pattern and movement in terms of head movement, in terms of defensive movement, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And Andrade only started really firing back after all those, all those slips and all the dips round about halfway through round two. And obviously in round three, she, that was her round. That was yeah. just going to drive around. I think Zhang is not going to be someone that is not going to throw back. You know, Andrade was so concerned about just slipping the jab that she wasn't concerned about throwing back. I don't think Zhang will do that at all. So I think Thug Rose is in a honestly a lot of trouble in that fight, especially with the way it looked in round three with Andrade. It's a five rounder with really Zhang. Imagine round four and five with Zhang. It's not going to be pretty if Thug Rose can adapt to really aggressive uh, pressure fighters. Man, let me tell you something, man. You are you are blowing my mind. Let me tell you something. Andre, if you're listening, yeah, I need you to get your pen and paper because this is the guru right here talking. This is the guru. Now, Matt, let's 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 step aside for a second. Where when it comes to fighting and 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 uh combat sports, how'd you how'd you how'd you start? No, I should have said that at the beginning, but is it you know, we we're just gonna talk about it. What was your start? Uh, did you did you did you beat somebody up one day and said, you know what? Yeah, this is my this is my thing. I want to I want to I want to do it. It's me. Um, no, I I think that like most like people that like grow up in like big big cities and they are 
around a lot of sports, a lot of entertainment and pop culture. Right. Mm. I grew up in LA. Mm. Um, so I, I grew up in the Austin Bay La Jolla like era. Right. So like boxing and combat sports was something that like, I always was quite aware of mm-hmm. to be honest. Like I remember, uh, I think the first pay-per-view my family bought, cause I remember going to people's houses and watching old like Oscar fights in like the early 2000s, yeah, like yeah. the Tito fight and stuff like that. But I remember like, the first big pay-per-view we bought as my family was like Mayweather or Gotti. And then I remember obviously getting into like, the UFC probably around post. I was more of the, the tough boomer and there was the tough, you know, generation. Talk right. So Stephen <laughs> Bonner and Forrest Griffin, that yes, fight on sir. Spike TV. I remember that. Right. Yes, sir. I, was, I was 10 years old at that time. Um, you know, Bruce Lee films, like, you know, sort of a very mm-hmm. stereotypical in terms of my love for combat sports and martial arts. So you just, overall, you just always been around fighting. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. Around. Um, you know, I've, trained to a degree on and off for 10 plus years oh my goodness jesus yeah i started in high school it was like freshman in high school so i was like 14 15 so it's 10 plus years so now, that's more like 11 years now were you were you were you, were you a wrestler what was your what was your weight class then then <laughs> what, was, what was your weight no then? my high school didn't have a wrestling team unfortunately oh. so i um i remember i uh i had a buddy his name was sebastian shout out to sebastian uh, he did Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at a, a Gracie Barra uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Mm. It was one that uh, Bobalu went uh, went to. That's a throwback name for some, but uh, mm. uh, I mean, Chuck Liddell beat him in his towel ring, but uh, Bobalu is a brawl. Uh, that was his gym. And I remember Sebastian, me and him were fucking around at a, at a football practice yeah, and yeah. he fucked my shit up man <laughs> did, he hit you with the, did he hit you with the uh, double leg takedown <laughs> dude it was like a flying submission it was, it was no great. way dude, sebastian was good like he was actually like really talented man he was a good guy um and then i i remember going to gracie bar and then i started going to boxing gyms because gracie bar was just far too expensive so i only went there for few months to be honest and so most of my training has been predominantly boxing to be honest i've been to you know jack rabbits uh the rock i've been to all the different oh, that's gyms it's, you're gonna see you know oscar valdez michael yeah. conlin you're gonna see uh guy leo santa cruz you're gonna see all those guys mm. um andy ruiz yep, dominic yep. brazil oh you know God. i've been in gyms with the greats all of those literally people. the greats literally yeah. And then obviously in terms of, you know, media, in terms of the industry, uh, I got into it about five years ago. Mm. Uh, I got a roommate uh, in college told me to start writing because, you know, we were watching boxing and combat sports and mm. UFC mm. all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I started writing articles and started sending them to websites and started getting published mm. just randomly. Yeah. Uh, and then I got picked up by uh, the boxing voice.com. And I you know, was a VP of that company for a couple of years then I worked at Sheridan.com for a year or so, mm. I guess. I'm trying to remember the time frame now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I've just been doing uh, solo, you know, freelance work since then. So that's about it. Yeah, man. Kudos to you, man. Because not a lot of people do what do what you do and 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 been through what you've been through, man. You literally started from scratch when it comes to learning the game and learning and learning you know the media the media side of but also the business side as well you know what i mean and just get picking different ideas from from you know you know sebastian and, you know every other every other person that you can uh pick from um so I, I really i really commend you for that man you're really you're really doing it big man 
Really yeah. And I will say this for people that like for you, for anyone that's like really trying to get into, you know, this, this media industry, it is, is tough. It is not easy. It's a grind. Um, there's no money in it. Like no, no, get, get all, <laughs> get all the illusions of grandeur out, out the window. If, if you're thinking, um, if you're thinking Joe Rogan experience, yeah, nah, it's, it's not, not that, that man. I will say this though. <laughs> if you connections is big, like, if you yeah. want to really make it deep in the industry mm-hmm. and like, this is something that I've, shied away from because it just you know yeah. not something that i do but connections and for lack of a better term kissing ass man mm-hmm. like you got to do that to get ahead in this industry and it sucks but like that's just the truth access media is the large uh is the large sort of mass mm-hmm. of combat sports media is just access media to yep. a degree um yeah but there are Benefits to that. I remember yeah. like I did a documentary series on Deontay Wilder and I remember going down to T- Tuscaloosa and for like a week or so. And that was amazing. You know, um, we brought like a filmmaker from Australia, shout out to Mickey. Um, and you know, it was a great, it was a great experience. And I was, I EP'd that. It was just, it was a great, oh, great time. Goodness, that uh, like a so, and fun time. I remember I did a live show at Canelo triple G, the first one at, at Las Vegas. I did a live podcast there. Mm. Uh, you know, there's hundreds of people. It was Everyone drunk. You had Mexicans. You had obviously the uh, the Kazakh uh, group that came, and they were fucking rowdy too. They were uh, fun, you know. And got to VIP section. So I've I've gotten to some really high level in terms of like experiences and moments in this industry. So it is it is a lot of fun, but it's but it's, but it's, it's more about the passion, you know. What I mean? Absolutely, the like there's no money in it. Like mm-hmm. you know, like that's just the reality of it. You know, mm-hmm. you're gonna look for rooms getting comps you're gonna look for yep. stuff like that that's the best mm-hmm. case scenario in terms of like trying to get paid by a big mm-hmm. sponsor and shit like that mm-hmm. for those events um but like i said it's or like you said i should say it's about the passion it's about you know do you love it or not do do you like doing this um i love talking combat sports it's one of those things that i do enjoy it's a cathartic experience i think for like most people out there mm. I, I think you can probably attest this i think yeah. most combat sports fans can test this mm. You're you're the one that knows the stuff, and there's maybe one other person in your friend group that really knows combat sports. Thank like, you. And you're, you're, it's an isolated <laughs> feeling. It's it's truly oh. like you're on an island by yourself, and there's no one there to talk to. And it's like, oh, let's talk about Anderson Silva or stuff like that. No, let, no one. Cool. Let me cool. tell you something, man. You are speaking. You are preaching right now. Are you in church right now, man? You are but, preaching uh, to the choir. But but you know, sort of you know, connect it all media has been a great way to connect to certain people that do love and have passion for this industry as Especially well. Especially with this COVID too. That's kind of, and, Oh yeah. <laughs> through that. Uh, shout out to everyone out there being safe too. Yeah, wear a mask. Yeah, uh, please, please. You know, I will say this and even like people that aren't in media per se, like mm. Twitter has been a great sort of cathartic experience as well. And like an escape because there's a thriving boxing Twitter sphere, there's a thriving MMA Twitter sphere. And those are very active communities, uh, Mm -hmm. fans and media. And for those that maybe are listening to a podcast right now, and they're the only person that is in their friend group that watches this shit. Yes, sir. Go on Twitter, go on social media. There's, there's people out there. Even if you don't want to do the media shit and actually be on a podcast, you can very easily talk to people that are there in the trenches doing the work with your favorite fighter and socialize with them. Facts. Like that happens all the time on Twitter and social Facts. media. I was actually uh, watching uh, the podcast. Oh, what was it, man? The Tramp, uh, the Tramp of the Champ. That's uh, Frankie Edgar's podcast. And uh, speaking of Frankie Edgar, 
he is now in the bantamweight division. Mm-hmm. That is scary. Another addition to that. I'm telling you, man, it's... My goodness, there's there's so many there's so many good fighters in that division, man. But um, um, how do you feel about? Should I say it? Should I say his name? How do you feel about Triple C, man? <laughs> how do you feel about Mister Mister the Cringe King? Cringe. You know, I, mean, I don't I think mean, he's cringy. Me personally, I don't think he's cringy. I don't know what what's up with what's there, up with the people. There's a few times he's been cringy. There's been just yeah. a. Few, and I say a few very specifically. There's only been once or twice, maybe three times where it's been like, that was lame. You know, like there's been like <laughs> other times, like I'll just like laugh it off. Like it's just him having a gimmick, right? Yeah, having a good time, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't fault him too much for mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember I interviewed him at a, like a dominance MMA event. So yeah. it was all of like the Ali Abdelaziz fighters. So that was yeah. a little bit interesting, you know, mm-hmm. itself, but digressing from that, uh, Suda was very pleasant. It was a lovely interview. Like he was a very nice guy. Like mm-hmm. I've always had very pleasant interactions with them. Uh, in terms of him being a fighter, I think he is very highly skilled. I think he has only gotten better since the Demetrius Johnson split decision win, which is yep. crazy. Yep. 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 That was wild. That was wild. Cause like that fight was one of those where I thought, you know, Mighty Mouse won, to be honest, yeah, after that yeah. decision was read. And I yeah. thought it didn't sit right with me. And then Cejudo just has iced every single person he's fought since and then. And apparently. And, and fantastic pound-for-pound fighters, too. So I, I can't criticize him from a fighter perspective. I also love that he's retiring right now, air quotes. And that's all <laughs> just going to go in tactics. <laughs> it's going to be him and Figueredo. <laughs> Dude, I, love, I love when fighters, like, challenge the status quo of the yeah. industry especially in the mma because as we know from you know john nash's reporting you know it's 15 yep. to 20 percent of the revenue goes to mma fighters or ufc fighters i'm telling you and th- that is ridiculous when, it, when you look at mainstream sports which is, which is at least 40 45 percent and even boxing's at at the average is 60 percent of the t- revenue goes towards the fighters scraps. table scraps so uh, any any top level guy going no I'm gonna sit out and give me my fucking money I love it so yes pseudo's a little bit cringe at times but I'm okay with him I I I think that he does a lot more positive than negative in this mm-hmm. industry a lot more positive than, than negative yeah man cringe pseudo he's I mean he's triple C man he didn't he didn't he win the the Olympic uh uh the gold Olympic gold with yeah. what a broken ankle was it a broken ankle was it ankle injury. Oh, no, was, it, it, the, was it a broken ankle though? Was it broken or was it was it sprung? Was it sprung? sprung I don't sprung? remember exactly, but I do remember he did win it off an injury. Yes, you're right about I'm that. I'm telling you, man, 18 years old. Oh my gosh. He was I can't I well, you know what I was doing when I was 18? Not that. I tell no. you that much. I was being dumb in school. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Yes. <laughs> No, a lot of dumb shit. Yeah, no. Oh my goodness. But um, yeah. Uh, let's now let's go. Let's talk about the 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 second um, Fight Island two. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the undercard of that? What was under Figueroa? Who was under that? Do you remember? Well, that's not the second one, isn't it? That's well, the well, second one's Calvin Cater, right? Yeah, technically the third one. Yeah, you're right. Technically the third one. Uh. <laughs> Let me look up the card really briefly. Um, was it? Was you want, it? You want the you want the Figueroa one or the Calvin Cater matter one? Matter of fact, let's 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 unbox let's unbox that Calvin Cater one, man. Let's do that because I think Calvin Cater, 
he put on such an exhibition using his distance, using the jab, just just overall a really good stand and and really good stand up game. You know what I mean? You know, I I think that was a bad matchup, not for him obviously because he dominated that fight. Mm-hmm. It was just it made no sense to put Danny Ige in that fight because he was never going to win that affair. Like Calvin Cater is a legit top like six, five guy in the division. Mm. His striking may be the best in the division. And that includes guys like Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. So that, in a, that says a lot right there. Uh, yeah. I, I want Calvin Cater versus Volkanovsky next. I'll and, be honest. And, like, that's the I, fight that makes the most sense in the world. If not like Yair Rodriguez or Korean zombie, yep. any of those three guys against, Volkanovski makes mm-hmm. sense, and then the two guys are left out fight each other. Like and, that's what I would do. And shout out to Max Holloway because uh, I mean we can have a little debate about that. I felt like I don't know, man. A lot of people people saying he got robbed. A lot of people saying he got shafted. What's your, what's your take on it? What's your take on? It? Do you think he really got really really won that, or, or do you think he legitly lost it? No, I don't think he. Um... I don't think it's clear cut like that. Uh, I, I'm not one of those that like shouts robbery at every close decision. Yeah. I think that when we, I was talking to, I think it was like Eric Stinn and some other guys that are in the media about this when it happened about the fact that the 10 point system is just so flawed for combat sports because you have rounds like the first and second round where you really don't want to give a 10, eight, round to max holloway in either round because they were very late round knockdowns there are flash knockdowns and the rest of the round was very largely competitive right so it feels like 10 9 rounds in terms of just from the rule set in terms of how like damage is scored technically and all that stuff it's there should be 10 9 rounds mm. but then you look at rounds three four and five all those rounds are not as decisive as rounds one and two but all rounds are scored 10 9 Mm. All those rounds are scored 10 9, I should say. We're not utilizing 10 10 rounds, I think, like we should. We're not utilizing 10 8 rounds more liberally, like we should, I think. Yep, not at all. Um, you know, I think 10 8 rounds, how we view them, should probably be more like 10 7 rounds. Yeah, and yep, yep. Those, those 10 9 rounds that are dominant should be more like 10 8 <laughs> rounds or something like that. We should use 10 10 rounds more often. We should experiment more with these number systems because we view a a lot of it as the same from a scoring perspective now, when we all know these two rounds are not the same in terms of competitiveness or dominance. Now, is it now a lot? Now there's a lot of controversy about that too. Now, is it the judges? Do you think it should be actual judges that, that, that I guess takes, I don't know, you take some classes to be a judge, a UFC judge or, think, should, I, or should I it think, be, or should it be think, like, you know, UFC, fighters like uh, let's just say Daniel Cormier being a judge or do you think that would be like a little bias like oh he wasn't in my camp or you know what I mean or he was part of my camp how, how do you feel about that um I'm not as high on fighters automatically being the best trainers we've seen time and time again or not trainers sorry um judges or even refs uh we've seen time and time again that it's spotty you know, it, it's give or take mm. uh, for every Frank Trigg or, you know, Ricardo Almeida in terms of being an officiate, we get others that are not as good. We've had tons of times we've, you know, I've heard of judges that have, you know, real long credentialed uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu mm. uh, practice or training and their scorecards are still trash. You know, <laughs> that does happen. Um, I do think some level of training and um, sort of, 
classes education on the scoring scoring system, how it should be implemented should absolutely be uh, widespread. Mm. Uh, Right now it is a state by state case because the ABC is just largely ineffective in Mm. terms of being a governing body of combat sports and, uh, and sports overall. Uh, I do think that we are an issue of when it comes to judges, more of a nepotism issue. Uh, I, it's way more pronounced in boxing, but it is absolutely pronounced in local MMA as well. You can get, see it more often in your regional cards. Yeah, that judges uh, are related to promoters or related to fighters, and that happens. You know, Carl Moretti and Dave Moretti are, are are brothers, right? <laughs> like Carl Moretti is the president of top rank uh, boxing promotions, and mm. Dave Moretti is one of the worst judges in history. Um, <laughs> That's on the record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and we had, even in the top rank cards, we had like four cards in a row where there was Dave Moretti scoring top rank fights and every card he gave was trash. And it was just, it was quite obvious that, Hey, he's only getting these gigs because Carl Moretti knows him and, you know, promoters and, and commissions largely are in bed with each other in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, um, there is a dinner before every fight from, for big fights, at least between oh, it, it between commission officials, uh, promoters, wait, wait, wait. and execs. Are, are you saying for boxing and UFC or just boxing? For yes. both? Yes. Oh my goodness. Whew. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's the, absolutely. it's the, it's the, 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 the combat sports Illuminati right there, all on one table. Mm-hmm. And for boxing, you get sanctioned bodies for MMA. Obviously you don't get the sanctioned bodies involved. That's not a thing yet. Mm. Uh, and then, Hopefully. you know, we're going to get media. We're going to get high-level media there. Mm. You're going to see that often. You're going to see the Lance Pugmires. You're going to see people from ESPN at these dinners. That happens all the time. Um, and not that there's, you know, blatant money being and bribery happening, but it's just mm. obvious, hey, I'm going to pat your back and pat my back. And that's a lot of the issue when it comes to judging, in my opinion, and just overall officiating in combat sports that there's no accountability. It's all nepotism. <laughs> And there's no one there to really clean it up because people that are supposed to be the police, so to speak, or the, uh, the people enforcing all the rules, the commission are the ones that are openly, uh, having conflicts of interest. Yeah. They let it slide, man. And, and again, it's, it's what you said before. It's not what, you know, it is who, you know, literally. I mean, famously the Nevada state athletic commission allowed Mayweather Miguel Cotto fight to happen, even though, the mayor that was supposed to go to jail mm. because they wanted the tax revenue from the fight. They wanted that money. Mm. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it's a cold world for the boxing or I, for combat sports in general, I should say it's a yes. cold world. I mean, don't forget. It's the same commission. Uh, <laughs> over and over. I think that for a lot of fans, they maybe haven't seen commission hearings, mm. but oh my God, they are a trip. If you haven't yet, go watch the Nick Diaz one. I think it's still up on YouTube. Um, that commission hearing is insane. If you want any idea on, on like how they work, obviously the Conor McGregor one's another good example. The John yep. Jones ones yep, yep. are prime examples of how a, a commission big works. prime example. Yeah. <laughs> Mayweather ones as well, uh, Chavez Jr. ones, like all those ones are just, oh, you know, chef's kiss of just <laughs> corruption. I'm telling you, man, and 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 oh my goodness, that's and that's what I'm saying, man. Somebody needs to just come in, Dana White, and I. He's he's he. Here's the thing about Dana, man. He picks favorites, 
and and he's just doing again. He's just sitting at the table with these guys. Like, hey, you know, wait, what's 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 the best move for this guy? What's the best move? For that? And and these people, they don't know the left hand from the right hand. They don't know the what fighting means. You know what I mean? They they just don't understand it. They don't understand MMA. The the first rule. They just, again, they just take a couple classes. And say, oh yeah, no, it's good. But um, yeah, no, I I don't I don't understand it at all. I really don't. I feel like. A better owner needs to step in, but I know that's not going to happen. He's going to have to, you know, kill over <laughs> for somebody to take over, you know. At least a better president. I mean, the owners, uh, Ari Emanuel and all those guys of uh, Endeavor. Yeah. I mean, they clearly bought it because they knew it was a valuable commodity. And mm-hmm. plus, if you know, the contract issue with, with the UFC makes it to where they largely get most of the revenue out of the labor force. So it just makes sense to buy this company, this multi-billion dollar company. But I don't think Ari Emanuel like really cares about like MMA. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's the guy that inspired Entourage. You think not, he gives a fuck not, about MMA? Honestly? No, he doesn't give a fuck. Mm, not at all. Yeah. So I, I do think at some point uh, it would be interesting to see what happens when Dana White does leave. Cause I think he will leave sooner rather than later compared to Endeavor. Now, wait a second. And, Why do you say that? Well, I think, Endeavor will outlast Dana White mm. uh, in terms of like ownership president. Like yeah, I okay. think Endeavor is going to be in it for the long run because right now, at least, especially with the pandemic, yep. the UFC is the only thing making Endeavor money right yep. now. Okay. Okay. Uh, Endeavor was going to launch their IPO and go public on the stock market until basically the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And so the UFC is the thing keeping them afloat right now. And that's not just the pandemic uh, situation here. Like the UFC has been a huge money owner for Endeavor, which is one of the largest uh, Hollywood talent agencies for those that don't know. Um, And I think because of that, you don't see, I don't see them leaving the UFC ownership anytime. They're going to just at some point when Dana White gets too old or gets too uh, problematic scumbags, kick him out and bring someone else in. That's going to happen. I think that's going to happen probably within the next 10 years, if I had to guess. Like, there's no way Dana White is still here in the next 10 years. Like, in 2030, Dana White is still president <laughs> of the UFC. Like, uh, dude, I'll pay you 100 bucks. Like, honestly, I swear to God. Like, uh, I, there's no app, way that's happening. Or, or PayPal uh, is my... Uh... <laughs> cash app, don't worry. But yeah, man, no, it's, it's it's just crazy, man. It's just a crazy world. The fighters aren't getting and that and that's why that's why John Jones did it and and Jorge uh, Masvidal. That's why they did their whole thing, man. They're not getting paid. These fighters aren't getting paid. The the, the commissioners, the owners, they don't they don't really care about the fighters. You know, again, they have dinners with the you know, it's like I said, it's not who you know, it's it's what you know. But it is what it is at, at this point. But I heard, I heard. I heard from a from a from a little birdie. A little birdie told me that Masvidal got paid good. He got he got paid good to lose. It wouldn't surprise me, especially when we have the situation with the UAE, because we know that the UAE paid the UFC to have that event to where before any fights happen, mm. the UFC was making money. Mm. Like before the card, the first fight started, they were already were making money. Didn't matter on pay per view buys. Mm. So then add, you know, a million pay-per-view buys on top of it. It was a hugely lucrative event. And we know from the WWE and with Anthony and Joshua, when it comes to big lumps of sum coming from Saudi Arabia, 
mm-hmm. even though we, you know, Saudi Arabia, UAE is not the same country, but they're all, you know, Gulf states uh, when it comes to uh, oil empires. So we can comparatively uh, talk about them. Uh, the UAE probably paid enough to where the UFC was able to pay Jorge Masvidal to come into this fight on late notice yeah. and give him what he was asking for because he was sitting out, like you said. I don't know what that would be because uh, I'm not a big fan of Malkikawa and mm. anyone that's with Jorge Masvidal's management team. I think they're largely dumb people, to be honest. Um, disclaimer, that's just me saying that's not... That's not <laughs> You think just that, me? Now that's one. That one's off the record. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I we, me and him uh, in terms of Malcolm, I have had a lot of arguments about John Jones' pay specifically because you know he would say, "Oh, he's getting paid a lot more than the disclosed yeah. purse." And I said, yeah. it "Doesn't matter. Look, if his disclosed purse is this, that's what it is. And he can only get topped out so much. Yep. Like that's how yep. it works. Sorry. If you look at more, if you look at man. boxers who do half the pay per view buys." That John's don't that John Jones does consistently, they get paid triple what he does, if not quadruple what he does in terms of just the disclosed purse, Mm -hmm. let alone back end money. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've had arguments with Jorge Masvidal's uh, management team specifically about fighter pay. So I do, I do wonder about how much he got and if it was really his worth. Because think about if he's making the UFC 1.3 million pay per view buys on top of the How huge of lump of sum that they got from the UAE, yep. he should be getting like $20 million plus a dollars. A good lump fight. sum. A good lump sum. Like he should be getting Deontay Wilder money. He should honestly. be getting uh, close to Canelo Alvarez money at this point, for fuck's sake. Like He is doing a lot of business that other guys aren't doing. Uh, like both Kamar Usman and Jorge Masvidal should have made at least $10, 15000000 million. At least. Off rip. Yes. Like, that's how it should work. Yeah, but yeah. that's not what we're going to see. Yeah, no. I, it's, it's, I'm telling you, man. Money-hungry owners, man. We need, peop- we need people like us to step in. <laughs> one, one of these days, one of these days, we're going we're gonna to be, somebody's going to, you know, oh, you know, break their foot or somewhere, you know, tragic accident. And then, you know, we'll just step in. Oh, hey, did you hear that? Uh, you, you, did you hear that that one that one podcast, uh, the Breakfast for Dinner podcast, and uh, you know M- MMA Radio. Did you hear that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the ones. They're the ones. So, man, Darren Till moving up to middleweight. How do you feel? What what's your what's I mean, your thoughts he, on he him? looked he looked great against Kelvin Gaslam. I will say this: Kelvin Gaslam is nowhere near the striker that Robert Whitaker is. Um. And there's, there's some things I fall back on, like in terms of like tail the tape and like strengths and weaknesses, right? Like Darren Till is a very good pressure fighter from an offensive standpoint. That left hand. Uh, like he, he, and not only that, like the way he sets it up, like he's constantly throwing feints, he's constantly throwing jabs, like he's constantly on his toes and moving uh, forward and backwards. The only issue is that he's not lateral in terms of his movement, but that's no, beside no, no, the point. No. I'll get to that. Mm. Uh, Darren Till is offensively speaking, a very gifted boxer. His defense is utter trash. Mm-hmm. And the only silver lining or like, you know, bail I'm going to give him on that is that in the Coven Gaslam fight, there was some market improvements in his defense from, for example, the Hori Masvidal fight that he got knocked out in. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he famously had his hands outstretched and Jorge Masvidal iced him, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not just that time. That's what he does anytime he's backing straight up in a straight line. Literally, not moving left or right. Nope. No, which is, you know, striking 101. If you're on that center line, you're going to get tagged. So get off the fucking center line. And he's always on the center line. What didn't come to Gaslam fight is that he would duck under Gaslam shots and clinch up. That was a far better tactic, but it's still a very limited tactic. And that's the only one that I saw that he really implemented. I didn't see him block or parry shots. Like that wasn't really happening yet. So he, defensively speaking, from what we've seen, he's still very, very limited. Mm-hmm. Offense, he's great. He's a he's lights out boxer, lightning fast hands, great power in the left hand, like you said. Um, not a huge variety in his in his offense, mm-hmm. but overall really fucking good. It's just transition to defense is just abhorrent. Robert Whitaker, though, is one of those guys where you watch him at welterweight and then watch him in his middleweight run, and it's two very different fighters. Like you watch him get knocked out by Stephen Thompson and then watch him fight like Uriah Hall, for example, right? Mm. It's two very different fighters. Yes. Like I I should know this. I don't off the top of my head, but I I, I want I, I wonder what he did in the time from a striking perspective, from a training perspective, to change that because he went from such a static, stiff guy with that right hand just tucked right on his chin. I mean, right on his chest, right under his chin, immobile, trying to launch it, right? Mm-hmm. And all of his fights at middleweight, he's been loose, his his guard's been a little more wider, a little bit more natural so to speak and plus he has lightning fast hands like darren till on top of it his boxing's a little more varied on top of it he can switch stances that's a really great added bonus in terms of being a striker to switch stances and change angles mm-hmm. darren till doesn't switch stances he stays in that southpaw stance also whitaker's defense is traditional but it's better like his defense isn't going to wow you because Darren Till's hands are down and he's moving a lot more right. So it's going to appear more flashy, but Whitaker has his hands up. He's blocking, he's pairing shots in a very traditional uh, sense. And that's kind of how you should do it. Um, like Robert Whitaker, is, I said this on my last show in terms of a different fighter and different comparison, but I use it here. Whitaker is a B plus in like everything, right? Like he's an 88 out of a hundred on everything, wrestling, grappling, submission, striking, boxing, like yes. clinch work, like everything. Like yes. he is just a B plus and that is really fucking good. If you can be a B plus in everything, you can get really far. You might be a champion like he was. Um, Darren Till has a few like C's mm-hmm. like in his ledger. And whenever I'm seeing that, it's very hard to, to go against the guy that is that has really no flaws. Like Whitaker has no flaws. You when you watch him fight, yeah, he can get he can get caught, he can get hit at times. He's not perfect, but there's no real apparent abhorrent like flaws in his game from a technical perspective. It's just he gets caught sometimes, right? Or he'll get hit sometimes. And that's a fight. You're gonna get hit. Darren Till has significant issues in his game that have not really been addressed yet from my eyes. So I'm gonna pick Whitaker probably by late. Fight TKO finish like fourth round, maybe fourth third round. round. Whitaker, yeah, I think <sighs> Till is very good in the first round. So I see a Darren Till. He will come. Round. He will come out. Come out banging. Yes, he will come out. Yeah, with a he always does. Like, that's yep. what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Whitaker is going to adapt to that quite well. I think he's going to start like kicking Darren Till and getting mm-hmm. the better of that. I think he's going to actually, to be honest, 
be the faster puncher too. Like his hand speed, I think is better than Darren Till's. And I think and that's going to be, that's going to be surprising. Um, I can see, and I will say this, both guys are not great going backwards. Mm-hmm. So if Darren Till can consistently get Whitaker going backwards, then Till has a far greater chance of winning. But the second Whitaker is starting to be the guy advancing or starting to be the guy that's getting a little bit the better of the exchanges consistently, it's going to be his and it's going to be a downhill slide for fucking Darren Till. It's another, not going to be pretty. Another thing, too, that Darren Till has to worry about that I think was is a problem. Another problem is his gas tank. Mm-hmm. He's he's the stamina is just is just sometimes sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's half. Sometimes it's a fourth. I'm like, come on, man. I need you. Who's your coach? But here's what, what do you, what do you, I want your take on this. When it, the mindset, <clears throat> when he lost to, oh, excuse me, when he lost to Masvidal and moved up, um, what, what was, what, what's the mindset of a fighter that, that gets knocked out and, and do, do you just go back to the draw board? I'm like, okay, well, I need to just move up. Or why didn't he stay in that? Why do you think he could have excelled? In the welterweight division. No, no. And that's not to a technical fault. Like, I think like he could just, you know, if he like the same improvements he had against Kevin Gaslam, if he had against say like Steven Thompson or in a rematch, like Anthony Pettis or mm. something like that, like uh, imagine another fight after Maswell, right at 170 pounds, he would have been fine. Um, it's not, I, I think to the issue of cardio, like you brought up earlier, mm. Darren Till obviously cut a ton of weight to get down to 170 it's a visible difference between him at 185 and him at 170. I like just look at him side to side. He was the bigger guy. And, and, and with Kelvin Gaslam and then watch his fight with Jorge Masvidal. Like just look at his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's it's, it's, I know this is weird, but like his yeah. shoulders were like sunken in mm-hmm. with Masvidal. Like he was just, you can tell he had a huge weight cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Kelvin Gaslam, he was the huge guy in there. You know, yeah, his yeah. shoulders were massive. Like he, he was just a healthier he good. fighter. He looked good. He did look good in that fight. Yes. So, I it's I don't think that him leaving 170 is in terms of him being knocked out and him thinking that he like he can't contend with at the top of 170. I think it's more of a hey, this weight cut sucks. Plus, we get knocked out. I'll move up, refresh the system, and look where he's at. Like he's one fight away from a towel fight, honestly. Like so, like it's been a benefit to him to move up to refresh the page in a way. And I do think it has had a positive effect on his cardio. Like again, we only have one fight, so it's hard to tell, and it was only a three rounder. But his cardio was never an issue with with Kelvin Gaslam. He dominated that fight largely. He kept it in his tempo and his pace and his real estate and his range, and he controlled the fight. Um, if he does that here, it would be interesting to see. Like if Darren Till comes away and like absolutely convincingly beats Whitaker, uh, I think it would be a sign of a his improvements continuing because he would have to improve to beat Whitaker. So look for that. Look for his defense to improve. Look for the way he parries and blocks shots, the way he slips shots, the way he moves off the center line, all those things. See, look for improvement if you're out there listening. Um, but it would also be as just a sign of his cardio being better, him just being a healthier fighter at this weight class, which I think is a reality. Um, and, and, and you mentioned about the weight cuts. How hard is it? Uh, and I want your personal experience. How hard is it to just cut the weight? Oh, it's awful. Like it's awful. I, I, I can only imagine. You know, uh, it's it's, and and. I remember for an exhibition fight, I came in on weigh-in day. 
uh, it was the day before the fight, so it was weigh-in day. It was, I was maybe a pound over, maybe like 0.7 over. Like, mm. I was over, right? Mm. So I had to go fucking run laps the morning of weigh-in. I had to go, like, I had to go sweat, sweater. It was summertime, too, I think, so it was hot. Oh I was in Inglewood fucking running in a park, right, with, with some, other, some other guys that are on the card because the they needed is, to lose some weight, too. The sun is beaming on you. Oh, my sun. God. It was miserable. I think I ran three miles, and I cut a pound. I, I didn't eat all day. didn't drink any water all day. Um, I was angry as hell at that weigh-in. It was not fun. Um, I, I For that experience, I don't like weight cutting, and I always advise against it because it can't be good. Like, And you look at like the, the videos like Chris Cyborg, getting oh, yeah. her weight right. cut and it's yep. just horrific she was crying she was in agony oh my goodness and i've only heard bad things i've never heard a good thing about a weight cut unless it's somebody that's moved up a weight class or it's a heavy weight and they don't have an issue with the weight cut mm. i hear that man weight weight cut don't do it just 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 keep going up just keep going up <laughs> think about this for most fighters they're like 10 pounds over when they walk in on fight week what most fighters are probably about 10 pounds over, oh give my, or take. Oh, my goodness. You know how much work you got to put in? It's, the, it's a little bit less in boxing. You're going to see more like a five to seven pound more yeah. on fight week when they walk yeah. in and they have to cut that to weigh in. But in, in MMA, yeah, you're going to see 10, maybe even 15 pound weight cuts on fight week. That's a lot more common. A lot more common. Because the whole training camp, let's say like the first four to six weeks, especially the first four weeks, is heavy sparring. It's heavy cardio where you're getting all the extra pounds of uh, the off camp off of you. Right. Mm. Um, but you're still over and you still want to be over too. the thinking is that you want to be at your sort of natural weight, which is usually about 10 to 15 pounds over your weight class yeah. the whole week. Yep. And then the first, the two days before weigh-ins you cut all that. So you do the salt baths, the Epsom salt baths, right? You do all the labs, you do go on the treadmill, go on the sauna and you cut that 10 pounds. And then you weigh in and then you just rehydrate drastically. And then you can gain 15, 20 pounds uh, within a 24 hour time span. That's, only, what, that's what it is. There's only one word for that. And that's called dedication, ladies and gentlemen. Insanity too. That's what Insanity. I would say. I mean, we, it, and not to like be serious for a moment, because there's some jokes that we had, but we have a lot of fighters that have had, uh, have unfortunately passed away due to weight cuts, like just cutting weight. Uh, cause it can damage and like fatally damage your liver in yep. the process of doing that. Uh, it was a rampant issue in Brazil about five to 10 years ago, uh, before the Brazilian commission really started, uh, honing in on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been an issue here too. Like there's been, uh, fighters that have passed out, uh, trying to cut weight that haven't been able to make weight. Like it's been an, an issue. Like there's like, Daniel Cormier, for example, with the, the Olympics is yeah, a, yeah. an example that I think a lot of MA and UFC fans can remember and hear about. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a, there's an argument that weight cutting is one of the most dangerous things for combat sports athletes. And yet all of them do it. And it's kind of encouraged to cut more weight. Mm-hmm. Now, now from welterweight to middleweight, that that's a pretty big jump. Um, mm-hmm. What what's the weight class for for welterweight? What 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 weight is that? One hundred seventy pounds. One seventy, and what is it for middleweight? One hundred eighty five. Do you th- now? I need your opinion on this. Do you think there should be a middle ground weight division? Because that's a big jump if you think about it. 
I'm a I'm a huge like metric system guy. Yeah. So like do everything off a of ten. So, and, like, and, it's just fucking easy. And here's the thing. I was um watching I was watching the uh full reptile. Shout out to uh Dan Hardy. I love that podcast. Um he was talking about this, man, and and he really sparked a good interest, man. There could be so many fighters that can just join that division. You know, you got Conor McGregor, you know, old school Donald Cerrone, you got Gilbert Burns, uh, uh Uzman, Masvidal, uh if you RDA. Literally, literally you can mesh the welterweight and the middleweight division. You can mesh it all into one. And that would be the best division in the UFC. <laughs> you know, I I think that a, a simple thing would just be, you know, move 170 to 165 and then have one, you know, uh, sorry, one, 170 to, yeah, 165 and then have a 175 pound division and then have a 185 pound division uh, and then just do everything by 10. So you got start from 125, 135, 145, 155, 165. Uh, that's here, 155. Yeah, 155, 165, 175, 185. Skip 195. We don't need a cruiserweight division, a light heavyweight. <laughs> cruiserweight anyway. This isn't WWE. We don't need a cruiserweight, baby. We need- <laughs> well, and also just because there's not the depth at light heavyweight and middleweight. Mm. We're like, if you made a division in between the two, is there enough depth to support another division? There's not that argument there. Like it is at 165, where if you push 170 to 175 and create that middle division between it and lightweight, there is... 50 guys, 60 guys on the roster in both those divisions, you can easily fill out another 30 man roster in, in that one division. So it's not an issue. Um, and plus those are the two most stacked divisions, historically speaking mm-hmm. in, in MMA. So to uh, weaken them slightly, wouldn't be an issue. So what is the issue then? What is the big underlining factor? I think Dana White comes from a, a very old school way of thinking of like everything with boxing is bad. And the idea of adding more weight classes and more titles is something that he doesn't like, to be honest. And I think a lot of the UFC execs come from that mentality of like, we don't want to be like boxing. We, we want to be the anti-boxing. That's kind of how the, Zufa sort of rebranded the UFC yep, yep. after it was, you know, more of a, hey, we're going to have all these different martial arts styles fighting mm-hmm. against each other in a tournament. And we're going to see who's the best style. Yep. After that, it became, we're going to be the anti-boxing combat sports league in a sense. Mm. Um, and that's why they had so few titles, so few divisions, because mm. that's an issue in boxing to a degree. And I think that's a large reason why we haven't seen any inclination from Dana White or the, you know, the higher brass over to the UFC and Endeavor to do that, to expand UFC divisions anyway. Add, you know, women's 105, Adam Weight, which is a great division oh, with Invicta, amazing. Amazing. you know. That just isn't really part of the conversation. They only did 125 for the men's and the women's for two fighters, respectively. It's Demetrius Johnson and uh, Valentina Shoshenko. If those two fighters did not exist, I don't think we get either divisions, to be honest. Like their greatness alone made those divisions happen. And plus, you know, Dana White has a thing for Shoshenko. And, and <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, she, I think he had a thing for uh, Rousey too, you know. But you know, she's she's married. But what do you know? White you know? blondes, white right, blondes. Right, you yeah, know, understand the white thing. I'll tell you, man, the, the favorites, man. And, and then I don't know, man. When it when it comes to when it comes to Demetrius Johnson and his dominance, um, why do you when he lost? Why do you think? Do you think that was the curtain call, or do you think he could have came back? Why did he? I was so disappointed 
when he decided to leave the USC and go to one championship. Don't get me wrong. He was dominating. But I, I think was, I was just so I, no, I, I agree with you completely. Like it was a disappointing thing. I mean, if you look at the way the UFC just sort of haphazardly let the flyweight division like almost self-dissolve itself until like mm-hmm. Cejudo came around to a degree and rejuvenated it. Um, I think, I think that incident was more of a J- Demetrius Johnson wanting to leave at that point in time. At, when he got to that point, he was gone. Like it, it, there was nothing the UFC could have sent him in terms of an offer or in terms of a deal that I think he would have liked. He was gone. He didn't like it there anymore. He wasn't happy there anymore. And so he was gone. He wasn't getting his pay. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, I don't think it's only just a pay issue. I think obviously that was a, a, a large part of it to a degree. You think he lost a little but, bit of the passion? No, no, no. I think it's, I mean, it's the same issue that like town Woodley's had with Dana White. It's the mm-hmm. same issue that John Jones has had with Dana White. Like J- Dana White has had issues with every high level African-American fighter he's had mm-hmm. every single one. Algerman Sterling. You know, we we're talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, there is an issue there. I mean, Dana White's obviously a Trump supporter as well and a rampant conservative. So there's, you know, we can go really in depth yeah, on that yeah, 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 if yeah. you want. But yeah. I think largely speaking, Demetrius Johnson did not feel comfortable anymore at that company and wanted to go somewhere else where he felt more valued. And, and, and that's why I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling, this is for all the listeners that are listening right now or that are going to be listening when I, when I upload this. <laughs> but um, watch out for Bellator, man. Because these fighters can get as many sponsors as they want. And they're not, they're not tied down to anything. And, and again, man, it's, it's just a... It's just a look, look, look at Chris Cyborg. She went from getting knocked out to the, the, literally the best women's fighter of all time. And you can... Don't at me. Don't talk about it. We already know that she's... If there was a Mount Rushmore of fighters, I'm putting Amanda Nunes on there. Mm-hmm. But no, Chris Cyborg, man, she went to Bellator. And guess what? She's a champion. And she's happy. And she's happy. You know, like that's like, I, I want to stress that. Cyborg's another good example, too, of like just a fighter that was clearly not gelling with the UFC brass. Uh, I think she's just happier with a different set of people. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, from being at you know a lot of both events, you know, being at UFC events and Bellator events, the Bellator... Mm-hmm team so to speak in terms of like the pr team the execs like it's just a different vibe it is it's a far more of a low-key family vibe and the ufc is a corporate environment yep. like it's just it is just very apparent the difference in terms of energy at both events so that's how it's so if fighters don't like that corporate energy with the ufc and dana white then obviously they're going to love scott coker and bellator and the way they're handling it there. Mr. Scott Coker. Shout out to Scott, man. He's And, and, and shout out to Bellator because they're, they're returning. I think, what, July 31st? I forget, I forget the date exactly, but I know it's at Mohegan Sun because Ooh. that's where all the Viacom events are. Showtime Boxing just released all their schedule. Let all of their events will be at the Mohegan Sun as well. That's going to be like the bubble in Las Vegas for top rank or the Apex Center for UFC where it's a you know, controlled environment where mm. people go and stay or the, what's it called for the NBA players? It's called the bubble too. Yeah, the bubble. The yep, they're, they're in the bubble. They're in the bubble right yeah, <laughs> In Orlando right. eating uh, Mickey Mouse pancakes. <laughs> Trying to sneak in man, Instagram models. Here's Good the for thing. Them. Here's the thing, man. I thought these guys, they, they are, these guys are 
million dollar men, athletes, pro athletes, man. I'm thinking they're eating amazing gourmet food, man. They come. I saw Dwight. Uh, Dwight was on uh, uh, Dwight Howard, uh, the, bas- yeah. the center. He was on um, uh, his inter- Instagram live, I think. And he was just eating Mickey Mouse pancakes. I'm like, what are you, where's, where's the good stuff, man? I saw it, man. I saw it. It was so bad. Where's the good <laughs> so stuff? Bad. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah. And you know what's funny? Like, there's a reason we haven't seen, like, LeBron's room. Because he has, like, all the good shit, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, no, I'm <laughs> like telling you right now. Like, yeah. there's a reason we haven't seen Kawhi's room yet. Because, first <laughs> off, he's never on social media. And, secondly, oh, no, no, he no, has no, all the good shit. <laughs> Dwight Howard isn't getting the good shit anymore. <laughs> if it was 2010, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no. If, if Dwight Howard wants the good stuff, man, he's gonna he's gonna get traded. You gotta go. You gotta literally. You want the good stuff? Oh uh, no, you're gonna get the, no. You're gonna get traded. I'm LeBron James. I get the good stuff. I'm the king. Remember, I'm the king. But yeah, no, man. Uh, let's 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 take a little sidestep. You know, basketball's coming back. I'm 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 happy about it. But um. I, I, yeah, I am too, man. I miss basketball, man. I uh, I miss sports, obviously, because I'm, a, just in, I'm in sports media. Uh, but I miss basketball, especially. I've always been more of a basketball fan than the other mainstream sports. Now, 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 I had a friend that was saying this, man, and I don't, I don't too much. I don't want to say believe it, but I'm not. I don't. I don't subscribe to it. He was saying, man, uh, that, um. People, you know, you know how people are protesting about, you know, George Floyd and all these injustices mm-hmm. that are happening in America. Um, mm-hmm. He was saying that if basketball comes back, then the protest will slowly subside, will slowly come to an end. I'm like, what kind of? I, I don't know. How, what? <laughs> I mean, maybe like in Orlando. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he's right about that. Like in Orlando, there won't be protests because yeah, you're right. Everyone's gonna be at fucking Walt Disney World and watching basketball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you look at anything that's happening in Portland right now and how you know the uh, Department of Homeland Security, the acting Department of Homeland Security head has now sort of exported the uh, paramilitary groups that we've seen in Portland to Chicago, Detroit. I think we're hearing, uh, Albuquerque now, and I think we're here in LA as well. Um, so n- I, I doubt we see any end to these protests. Yeah, no, if, if you just, if you just stick your head out the window, and look what's yeah, going on. Yeah, and people, people are getting snatched up in unmarked cars by unnamed federal agents. Uh, and the acting department head, uh, uh, department of Homeland security had, Again, publicly said this that uh, we are preemptively arresting these people. <laughs> like they haven't done anything wrong. We're just preemptively doing that because we're like suspicious of them. Yeah, man, it's 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 a it's a crazy world we live in. LeBron can do like he can have he can he can beat Kobe's number of eighty two points in the game, right? He can beat that, Literally. and it won't matter. We're gonna get protests the next day in Portland or in other cities. That's just gonna happen. Um, you know that. Sorry, I yeah, guess no, to your friend, but yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't buy that yeah, one bit. It's I, not happening. I, I do see how he can say that and how he can think that because, I mean, 2016 and 2015 happened. When we had like Flando Castile get shot and everything like that. Like, like we like we've seen this before to a degree, and it went back to being normal. Mm. But this time does feel a little bit different. Yeah, no. Uh, when he when he said that, my eyes my eyes were literally bulging out. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah, man, it. Uh, Oof. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just happy, man, that that sports is back. To be honest with you, uh, 
Just, and especially because, I, again, I, I, like you said, man, you, you, you literally only have that one friend that kind of kind of sort of knows about UFC and kind of sort of he knows he knows all about basketball and football, but and maybe baseball. When it comes to UFC, man, I, I literally like it's 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 just non-existent with my friends, you know. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, I've like that friend that knows like everything about baseball. I've got that friend that knows everything about basketball. Like that's just how like it kind of works to a degree. It's, it's um, never, like everyone it's never, has their own spheres of knowledge and, ex- yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know, expertise. <laughs> it's never somebody that you you never have a duo. It's never that like group. <laughs> and plus, like I, I to give them some bail, like. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know everything about basketball yeah, or yeah, yeah, NFL. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. just not going to like, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable enough to like have like those in-depth conversations about like mm. someone's batting average on like, <laughs> you know, the Tampa Bay, like Marlins or whatever the fuck yeah, they're called. Like yeah, I, yeah. no, like, I, I, I don't have that knowledge. Yeah, no. Um, So I can get how they don't have the knowledge for our sport. Like I'll put it that way. Like I can totally get it. It's okay. Yeah. You know, like everyone has their own hobby, so to speak, like, you know, for no, music, no, like no not niche, everyone no listens niche. to Freddie Gibbs or West Side Gun or yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. I do. I listen to that shit all the time. Respect. Hold on. Just, respect. Respect. That's real rap right there. Real fucking rap. I respect that. Um, now, nice. I mentioned I mentioned my my, my, my Mount Rushmore of fighters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you mind if I finish that off? You tell me, and you and you I want you to insert and tell me if I'm wrong. Okay, okay. so uh my my first one. Matter of fact, we're not gonna do this in order. There's four people on the statue, right? Am I correct? Four four, four. Yeah, on the rock. On, on, on the, the rock, on the on the, the on the mount. <laughs> um I would do Amanda Nunes, mm-hmm. right? GSP, right? Mm-hmm. My third one, John Jones. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's the thing: people would say, "Oh, John Jones, I oh, know he his his off the let's do air quotes off the court, <laughs> him outside the the octagon. It, he was he wasn't you know a really good person. Oh, I want I don't want to say good person. He just made a lot of questionable. Yeah, plus you know the PD issues. Like you know, you, you, there's a lot of people have issues with John Jones, but regardless, he's still top four or five guys of all time, top fighter of all time. Like that's how it, how it works. Facts. And I think my last one, I'm not going to lie, man. I'll put cringe up there, man. I'll throw cringe up there. I'll throw cringe up there, man. Now, just so he we're be- on the same page here, Mount Rushmore, how we're using is just the top four people of all time, right? Not four pioneers. Like it's the four <laughs> best, right? Who are you? Okay. Wait, are you going to put Rhonda up there? Is that what you're? I, well, no, no, no. Because like people have different definitions of Mount Rushmore. So if we're just talking about the best, then obviously Rhonda Rousey is not the best women's fighter of all time. It's Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is the best combat sports women's thank athlete you, thank you. of all time. Like that's just how it works. She's better than even Layla Lee or Clisha Shields or right. Katie Taylor in boxing too. Um, like she's just the best. So yeah, she goes on there. Um, if we're talking about pioneers, I would maybe put Ron. Oh, yeah, I'll put Ron up there. I'll put Ron up. She, she, yeah, she but, definitely, she definitely paved the way for women's fighters. I will say that. But what? <laughs> but, but but you're just doing best. So I, oh, I yeah, can I'm follow it. I'm doing best. I'm doing best. I'm doing. So Hudo should not be involved. It should either be what? probably. Oh come he's not, on! I think he's not close. He's probably already within the top 10, 15 fighters of all time. Like that's not out of the question. Uh, but top four, I don't know. Excuse me. Um, I'll probably put. 
All right, how about this? I'll Jose I'll, Aldo. I, I, I was Jose just about Aldo. to say. I, I was just about to say. I'll take Jose. I'll take Suhuda out and put Jose. And I was. Just, you took the words right out of my mouth. My mouth. Yep. Because because I would probably classify Aldo as the best fighter under 155 pounds we've ever seen. Um, even including Demetrius Johnson, like I would I would say Aldo is pound for pound a better fighter. Than John, Demetrius Johnson. Now, do you no. um, and Dominic Cruz? I would say like those three guys oh, are the yeah. best at featherweight, bantamweight, and flyweight of all time. Aldo's the best of those bunch. So like, I would have to include Aldo mm. in the Mount Rushmore. I would say. Mm. Um, though I will say this: mm. like I like Khabib. I you know I'm not oh, the biggest man, fan of Khabib so... from out, outside the whoa, cage whoa, perspective. Whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. Now, why aren't you a big fan of, of Khabib? I mean, he has like some like nasty views about like women in terms of, like women's rights, like stuff like that. Like I have issues with Khabib, but in terms of like a fighter, he's fucking phenomenal. Like I have no issue. I, I'm a fan of Khabib, the fighter. Well, that's all. Um, that's all Khabib in like three years, mm. he could be in this conversation. Like it's only like it's not that long until he's in this conversation mm-hmm. if he keeps dominating the way he is, especially with the lightweight division being so dominant. It is. And I do imagine that in short order we see. Could be move up to 170. No and, way. No way. Yeah, I think why not? Um, I mean, if, think about this. If you're the if you're vying for the best of all time, the best lightweight of all time, yes, you have to outdo at least BJ Penn. So you have to collect yes. that welterweight belt. Yes, point. yes. You have to do that. So I am imagining a Kamar Usman, like uh, uh, Khabib, sort of duel at some point right that's going to mirror a lot gotta, of gsp bj penn that's the rematch i think that fight it. whenever we see that fight the winner of that fight will be the next new guy we talk about in this conversation because I, I do see both guys usman and khabib holding that down the divisions for as long as it takes to what we to where we start talking about them fighting each other because that's not gonna be long till we start talking about super them fighting fight. each other super fight like that just ha- that's how we are, right? Like <laughs> if Khabib goes and dominates the next four fights he has and Usman goes and dominates the next four fights he has, we're going to talk about them fighting each other and who's going to be the better wrestler, who's going to be the better grappler. Mm. Is Usman's size going to be too much for Khabib? Is Khabib's <sighs> technique going to be too much for mm. Usman? Like there's so many Thank different you. sort of analytical questions we could have from mm. a grappling perspective with that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, like I said, like I do think in some ways that's going to be the next super fight we talk about in the low weight classes is that one. Um, it just makes the most sense. I do see though, speaking of cringe, uh, triple C, triple C, mm. he did call out Alexander Volkanovsky today. So yes, I will did. say yes, this, he if Henry Cejudo goes and beats Alexander Volkanovsky, which I don't think is a ridiculous fight to make, to be honest, why, why do you say that? Uh, because I'll say this. If Suda went up to and fought Holloway when Holloway was still the dominant champion, it would make no sense to me from a size perspective. Mm. Holloway is like 5'11", 6 feet tall at 145 pounds. Like he's a fucking Literally. giant, dude. Literally. He needs to move up, if anything. He needs he, to move up. He needs to hit the gym, he, gain some he, gain he some weight, and move up to 155. <laughs> but Volkanovski is like 5'5", five, 5'4". Five, five, like he's a very small guy. Yeah. Cejudo is like 5'2", five, 5 feet. Like, you know, Cejudo wouldn't be so undersized against Volkanovski like he would be against Holloway or Brian Ortega or other guys at 145 pounds. And from a technical perspective, like you can argue that Cejudo is maybe a better fighter than Volkanovski. He's a better grappler in terms of on paper. 
Uh, I would argue that Volkanovski is a better boxer, but not by any like large degree. So yeah, I think if Sudo went up to 145 and beat Volkanovski, collected a third belt, how do you not put Sudo in this conversation? Right? That would be the end. Like that would be the way he can wash his hands and retire, and he's the, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. Because who's done that? Mm. Like no one. Literally nobody. Literally nobody. Um. Yeah. No. Max Holloway. Uh. Shout out to you, man. You you were at one point the best featherweight in that division. Um. You need to second best of all time. He's the second best of all time. You need to hit the gym and move up away, man. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do what McGregor did, man. Just move up. Just get get up there, man. And gain that weight. Like that's a big deal. Like he he didn't gain the weight for Dustin Poirier and it showed. Like his frame was the same Mm -hmm. and he wasn't able to like really contest in the clinch. Yep. And I think that, you know, small analytical part for those listening. Yeah. The clinch is one of the I would say the most deceiving aspects of combat sports and, and it's very underrated and all combat sports, even boxing too. The the person that can control the clinch can dominate you, be the guy that's the aggressor, bully you in the clinch mm. usually gets the win. Yep. Like I, I know it's hard to see it even in striking affairs. Shout the second they clinch up and whoever gets the better of the clinch yeah. usually wins. Shout out to Randy Couture. Shout out to Randy. <laughs> I met him when I was like nine years old. Oh Nicest guy gosh. in the world. What? Yeah, my dad worked on uh, the Affliction headquarters in terms of like construction. Yeah. Um. So I got to like go there and like walk the, the the premises right, and uh, Randy Couture was there, so like that was cool. Well, I think I think one of my one of my bucket lists is to go to a UFC event. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a fight night. I don't care if it's a, it's an actual you know well, yeah, uh, you UFC do. two two seventy seven. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, okay, what it is. Where, where do you live in, in, in? You live in California, I know, but yes, where do you sir. live in California? Uh, Northern California, the Bay Area. Bay Area? Oh, yes, yeah, they, don't, they don't go to the Bay Area that often. Yeah, that's that's no. a struggle. I mean, Sacramento, maybe. maybe. Santa Cruz, maybe. And if we're talking like the old prime strike force days, you'd be in so much luck, man. Yeah, there were so many fights down in the Bay Area oh, for strike force. Yeah, they were amazing. Um, yeah, you might have to come down to LA for a UFC fight and get a hotel room. I'll yeah, be honest. Cause they come to LA. Well, I mean, whenever they go back often, to like often. normal yeah. events with attendance, people remember, and people in attendance, is. right. Uh, they do an LA show at least once a year. Yeah. So like, that's, I would say that. And I've been to, as a fan, I've been to five UFC events, mm. uh, as media, I've been to four or five as well, probably. Uh, they're they're a blast. Like they're just like there's n- it's so there's nothing like high level combat sports. And we're not there's nothing about, like it. We're not talking about the nosebleeds. We're talking about actual decent. And even the nosebleeds aren't bad. Like that's yeah. the thing that like I think people don't seem to uh, people don't seem to get. Like there's not a bad seat in there, huh? Uh, there is cage side. Cage <laughs> side, really? The worst. Cage you get the, you get you get the post in the way. You get cameraman in your way. When they're on the other side of the cage, it's so hard to see. Um, that first like bowl, you know, that's like higher up. Yeah. You want seats in those. And yeah. usually like on the uh like the longer side, like the parallel side yeah, with the yeah, cage, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the, you want you want something like that, like the 50 yard line, right? So yeah, to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. You want that. Um, those are some good seats. And again, I've like when I went to Canel Triple G, right? When I did mm. the show and we got yep. VIP section. Yep, yep, VIP yep, section yep. wasn't uh cage height, it was like, and like a big, like they took over like three or four different like booths and stuff like that and opened them up. 
like at the very top of the the stadium in the T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas. Mm. And it was fantastic. I'll be honest. Cause like we were right there in front of the big Dremel Tron. So you can see that if you wanted, you can, yeah. you had a bird's eye view of the ring. Um, we had an open bar there. So that was very nice that as was well. That's uh, now, now you're speaking my language. Okay. I, mean, I was, I was so sloppy <laughs> drunk after that show. Cause they, like we were like super nervous. That was like the first live show we all did. Yeah. And it was hundreds of people. Right. Yeah. So we got hammered at that open <laughs> bar, man. It was bad. Mike Tyson was there too. He was looking at us all, you know, just, just disgusted like, like these hooligans. Um, <laughs> but I uh, digress. And like, again, I would say if you want a seat at a, uh, a fight, get higher up. Actually, you want a little of an angle to look down on, to be honest. Uh, so, so you telling me the, the, the million dollar, uh, owners and the, the, the people that got the, the money, money are in the, in the wrong. Yes. They're, they're doing you have to remember wrong. that if you're like a big time celebrity, not even yeah. a celebrity, like if you know the promoter, like you get comp tickets. Yeah. It's like a lot of those people sitting like really like cage side or ringside. Mm. Those are all free seats to them. Mm. They don't pay for those. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, goodness gracious. But yeah, that's on my bucket list. I'm telling you guys. Like, you know, like media row, like awful vantage point. Yeah, I might Sucks. Have, I might have it's the worst. Just, uh... like, I love, like, I'll be honest, because in boxing, the, this doesn't happen. In, mm. in MMA, you, you get a media room where, yeah. you know, you get like the post-fight scrums and interviews, all that stuff in the back in the media room, right? Or in a media tent. Yep. So the UFC has those. Bellator has those, right? Boxing, you don't get media rooms. Mm. Usually. Wait, it's just media row. Like, that's all you get. Just a row? Yeah, that's all you, you don't get media rooms usually in boxing. What? So in MMA events, I love just hanging out in the media room because yeah. you get like five or six TVs. Mm -hmm. You got all the food back there. Yeah, you can do your and analyst the, right there. You can just literally just sit there and do it. And the foods. And plus, if like if you're really trying to get like interviews and content, you have to be in the media room because yep. like that's where people are to get interviews. Mm. Um, in boxing, it's not. You have to like literally just run around the arena and find people that are in attendance oh, that so are it's fighters. Like a, it's and like try a to scavenger hunt. <laughs> it is. It's it's the fucking worst, man. I fucking hate it. Uh, but uh, but like for UFC events, this might seem like I'm patting all almost media on the back. But you gotta try this, man. Trust me. Like you, whenever you can. Try to get a job with one of these smaller outlets that yep. gets credentialed and get mm. credentialed for a, a show or a media event. Like you mm. can, it's not that hard actually. Like Cage Potato MMA News .com. Like look them up. Those guys, I forget the guy over at MMA News. He hires a bunch of people that can do this. That go to events. Mm. Try to do it. Trust me. But the UFC catering. Let, we'll talk about it. Let's talk oh about it. Oh my god! Let's unpackage that. Dude, let's talk like about prime it. roast with like mashed potatoes and green beans oh to start off with. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm about to. I'm about you to. get like and like a, a variants of like that. Like I remember one time I think it was like lamb, Hold something on, like Stop one right Like there. it's Stop like it's right really there. high end I'm, like food, right? Stop. Then you get dessert. Oh my gosh! So on like, top of it. it yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's cake. It's oh. pies. Whatever. Oh whatever it is. God. Whatever it is for that. Time. Usually there's some sort of cake variants. I'm about to hit the uh, and then after that, podcast. it's pizza. Oh my god! Huh? Because huh? we're there. We're there for ten hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You me hungry again. <laughs> I didn't think about that. So, so like when we get there at like three p.m. Yeah. in the day, right? Yeah, we yeah. we get the we get the good food, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And then we get to watch all the fights, and we have dessert. And then after the fights, we have to wait for the press conferences and yep. the scrums and stuff yep, like that yep. for the main eventers, right? Mm. And for Dana White and stuff like that for Scott Coker for Bellator. Yep. 
And then you can, you know, have your pizza usually is what it would be. They bring in like, you know, straw hat or something like that, you know, uh, what's the other ones? What's the Papa John's, you know, something like that. Domino's. Come on. Uh, I remember one time, what event was it? It was, I think it was UFC 232. So it was John Jones, Alexander Gustafson too. Mm -hmm. It was that, it was that really, really fucking good event. I think that was. That, was on that call. That was oh, that was, that was the Chris Cyborg Amanda Nunes yes. fight, man. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. That, I was at that car. I was credential for that one. What? Okay, um, I'm we were there late. Like I didn't get late. home till like th- like three or four a.m. I think. God. And that, that's that, uh, and they had beer there, so all of us meeting people <laughs> got into the beer, man. So that was a good time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna snitch on any names. But we had a great time drinking some beer at yeah, yeah. Uh, at that event before I had to drive home. Nice, so nice. It was so late and miserable. Oh my god! Speaking of Gustafson, he's fighting this uh on, on the on a the, heavyweight. You know, I'm, oh my, he's moved up. How do you? I'm telling you, man. First of all, he, me personally, I feel like he should have won against um uh John Jones. Me personally, I feel that way. The first um, fight, yeah, of course. The first fight, but the second fight he got dominated. I don't know what was wrong with him. Age, <laughs> Jesus! How old is age? How old is he? Uh, it wasn't just age in terms of just your number in terms of like what year you're born, right? Yeah. It's wear and tear, right? Like mm-hmm. he's been injured a lot throughout his career. I think that's something Talk that we forget about, about with Gustafin is that he has been very injury prone. Talk about it for his entire career. He's yep. not a guy that's consistently fought mm. since that John Jones first fight. Just go and look at his like his resume. It's yeah. spotty. It's mm. fights once a year, maybe. Just like uh, Anthony Anthony uh, Smith, yeah, or uh, Anthony Pettis, even to degree, right? Like, um, it's somebody that's like they just have injury issues and like they can't really get over that, even though they are very skilled fighters. Um, I'm still probably picking Gustafin in this fight against Verdum because Verdum is literally old, like he's like 42 years old. Let me tell uh, you something, man. Let me tell you something about Verdum, man. Who 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 did he fight? Where he he fought? What was his last fight? I gotta look it up now. His last fight he fought. Um, we lost, right? Did he lose? Did he? No, he didn't. Yeah, no, uh, Alexi Olenek. That was his. That was his comeback fight. And he lost that one. Yeah, that was comeback fight after two years. Remember? Uh, oh, he did. I thought he looked for bad sure. too, man. He looked bad. No, yeah, he did get knocked. <laughs> yeah, he got knocked out. I remember that. Yeah, no, he. Oh my goodness, I, I definitely thought he won that, man. Oof, my memory's gone. But yeah, no, he, he's. I don't know. When it comes to Gossison, man, he, he's he's fighting an old man. Um, Both guys are old. Yeah, he, yeah. And honestly, like even like the show, like for those two fights on this card, there are old guys fighting. And Shogun Hua versus uh, Lil Nog was it yeah, for the Lil, third time? Lil, Lil Nog, oh, nope. yeah, it is Shogun. Yeah, Oof. for no reason at all. No I don't know why we're getting this fight. Out, yeah, I, where, where is we need. Where where are the dogs, man? Where the, where are the up and comers in the in the heavyweight? I mean, that's heavyweight. Heavyweight's always been an older division for for the UFC and for MMA in general. Um, I will say this: for whatever lack of young talent we are seeing in, in the MMA heavyweight division, we're seeing a lot of it in the heavyweight division in boxing. A lot of hey. young talent is in the heavyweight division in boxing. So. Maybe it's just one of those cycles where, like, we didn't get a ton of young talent this generation mm. for the heavyweight division. Mm. The next cycle, we will. Like, that does, like, combat sports is a little bit cyclic in nature in terms of, like, 
runs and generations of you know talented fighters that are just stacking a division right yeah it does happen that way um so that's kind of what i expect here like in five to ten years i expect to see a huge influx of young talent in the heavyweight division oh, yeah, it's it not there be. yet yep there's oh. a bunch of the guys that are like 17 18 right now that we haven't heard of that are training that haven't fought yet that in five to 10 years are going to be 28 years old and are going to be in the ufc that's always how you have to think about it as well. So like, it's not going to be long until we do get some young talent back in this division. And same it's like light heavyweight, right? Like light heavyweight. How it's long little, has little, it been little, since we were slump. like yelling, like there's no one in this division. It's a dead division. It's John <laughs> yeah. Jones picking off guys. We Who don't care wants. about. Yeah. <laughs> and now we do have a lot of young talented fighters in the division yes. with, you know, Dominic Reyes, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is interesting to see that, you know, give divisions time in terms of like, if there's a run in the division, just being barren, give it time, invest into the amateur system, invest into young talent, grow that young talent. And eventually the division will will like repopulate itself. The shift will happen. The shift will happen. Um, Who do you, who do you got? Uh, Car Espinosa and uh, Marina, Marina Rodriguez. We got that one, man. I want to pick Marina Rodriguez because she's like the undefeated younger talent, right? But yeah. Carla Sparza is still like the better fighter. Yeah. And she should win a decision here, in my opinion. Not a fun decision, but both guys are kind of grinding fighters. I think we're going to see Sparza win that affair. Uh, and she's been on like a little three-fight winning streak too. So she's doing good lately. So I think Sparza should win this one. Yeah, man, this this these this fight. I, I feel like the 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 co-main and you know again the free throw we're doing fight. I feel like that those two are just throw-ins. Um, the old school name value. That's what it is. <laughs> they that's why we got like Rashad Evans for so long after it was clear that he shouldn't be fighting because it's Rashad Evans. It's, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of that, uh, Low Nog's record. His only wins in this entire decade. I'm looking at it. Jason Brills, Tito Ortiz, Rashad Evans, Patrick (laughs) Patrick Cummins, and Stam Alvey. Those are his only wins in this entire decade. Good God. Uh, little nog, man. It's it's time to hang up, brother. I it's mean, been time. It's been time. You need to just chill on the beach with your mojitos and 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 the uh, and yeah, you want your lovely umbrella. You know, you just need to chill on the beach, man. You 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 did good for the sport. You you and your brother, you both did good. But yeah, pioneers. Know, you know, and and that and that goes along with the pioneers, man. <laughs> they're, they're legends. I mean, like the the Nogueira brothers. We don't get the popularity of MMA in Brazil without the Nogueira brothers. That just does not exist. They were the biggest stars in MMA in Brazil for a very long time before Anderson Silva, before Jose Aldo, obviously. Like they were the, even with like guys like the Gracies, like the Nogueiras were actually the stars in Brazil, not the Gracies. It was the the Nogueira brothers. They were bona fide superstars. And you have like maybe Vitor Belfort added to that list of like real superstars in Brazil. So, a lot of credit is is owed to them for opening up a huge market in a massive way um, that MMA is really owing a lot to. But it doesn't mean you should be fighting in the year of our Lord 2020. 
God, no. Sorry, Lona. You should just be retired. Same with Shogun. He should be retired. Fabricio should be retired. Gustavin should be retired. Like all four of those guys should probably be retired sipping mojitos on a beach. I'm I'm telling you, man, it uh, they're just milking it at this point. I think, you know, I and and in, I would in, ter- in terms of them milking it, the UFC's milking them. Even more, wanna... even more, even more. I would say that. And now and I was matter of fact, I was just listening to a uh a, a press conference. Um I think a podcast. I can't remember, but it was Dana White. Uh, it was a press conference actually. And they were talking about Freeze Robertum, Robert, and um, they were saying, uh, you know, his contract's up. Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you think about uh, him retiring and uh, or continuing in the UFC? He was like, oh, I don't know what he's gonna do. You know, he's getting up there in age. No, he is up there in age. Dana White don't. don't he likes the sugarcoat stuff. <laughs> you know, he is up in age, and he just needs to just, you know, after this fight, you know, just. Just be done with it, man. But um, and then we have another light heavyweight bout. Paul Craig. I'm not even gonna pronounce this name. But I'm, well, matter of fact, I'm gonna try it. Gazimarad and Tigalov. Tigalov. And Tigalov. There we go. Tigalov. I'm I'm guessing here. No, that was a really good guess because I'm horrible with pronunciations. I'll tell you that much. But um, how do you feel about that fight? I'll pick Paul Craig. Uh, I thought you looked decent against in that, in that draw um you know anytime you see like a russian or eastern european fighter that is not undefeated mm. i don't really like think that they're like all that i mean, I mean undefeated yeah. ones you have to worry about right like the undefeated dog fighters you just you don't know you don't know their names how to pronounce it you have to worry about them um I mean, the guys yeah. that are like 20 and 6 like and tigalov yep, yep. they have lo- lots of flaws and really? similar to Paul, Paul Craig, like Paul Craig is not somebody that is like talented to a degree. Like I don't think he's ever going to vie for a championship, let alone win one. Yeah. Um, but he's been around for a while in the UFC. He's been pretty decent. Uh, he should win this one. What's what do you think is Antigalov's flaws when it comes to when it comes to what do you, what do you think his flaws are when it comes to um, fighting in the octagon? Uh, looks like I've been knocked out. I mean, most of his <laughs> fights have been, I mean, most of his, all, all of his losses have been, I mean, think to knockout, right? Really? Yeah, no, I think it has. I think you're absolutely right. I, I no, sorry, so. sorry, two of them have been submission. Sorry, apologies. Yeah. But the rest of them have been knockout, so he's always been finished. Like, he, there's never been a loss where he's gone to decision. Really? Um, and there's no wins of note that I see. That I know. Uh, I, I remember the uh, Kutileba fight briefly, and mm. that's because it was only a one-round fight. Mm. And that's about it. Uh, and Kutuleba just brutalized him with punches and elbows. So I, yeah. So you tell Paul me, Craig maybe can get a knockout here. That's possible. So you tell me he's not that special. No. <laughs> uh, what What is the other fight? Oh, oh, I've seen this Brazilian before. I've seen this guy, Alex Alex Oliveira. He's now he's legit. He's legit. Mm-hmm. Versus Paul Sabata. Who, who you got going there, man? I'm going. I'm going with the Brazilian man. Uh, Alex Oliveira is one of those guys where um, he should win this fight. You do wonder about his mental space because he's had a lot of issues outside the cage. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly because they were crazy stories. Crazy. Like, not like. Not like. Not like maybe crazy. like what you're thinking. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> More like uh, crime stuff in Brazil, like uh, grenades gotcha. and machine guns being involved. Uh, like he's he's had a lot of run-ins with like almost death lately. 
Really? Uh, so I, I do worry about his, his mental space going into any fight. And also like Peter Sabata is not a bad fighter. Like yeah, he's not a he only lost to like kind of decent guys to a degree, like Leon Edwards and even like Cal Noak is not a bad fighter. He's beat up everyone else. Like Nicholas, Nicholas Dalby, I think is a really decent fighter. He gave uh, Darren Till his toughest fight for a long time until Darren Till lost probably. Uh, beat up Ben Saunders pretty well. Like Peter Sabata is a decent fighter too. He's a good striker. Um, you know, both guys I would say are decent all around. Uh, Oliver is probably just a little more violent. Yeah, this is a little more of a violent striker, a little yeah. more of a violent fighter. He should win this one, but Pierce Sabata is not a pushover, you in know, my opinion. The significant strikes for the matchup is 51% to 39. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big jump, I would say. I see this fight being very competitive till it's not, meaning like when Oliver does catch Sabata, it'll be over. But Sabata is going to land shots. It's going to be very fun and competitive for a round, round and a half, maybe two rounds, and then Oliver is going to get knockout at some point. So you, so you think knockout and what? What round are we talking? Third, third and final round? If I have to pick around, I would say second round. Second? We talk. We talking about in the beginning of the second or towards the towards the end? Like, 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 are we talking about like Cody Garbrandt? The the bell's about to be be, and then wow, just hit him. Him with the right. No, no, probably like <laughs> I, I do see it being very competitive in the first round and then Oliver coming out and just kind of just taking over. Mm. So relatively early, early in the second round. So if I, if I have to guess. And I have no clue. I, this is the last one. Uh, it's a welterweight belt. I'm not even going to pronounce this. <laughs> I, I, uh, Ka- right? Cam- yeah. Kamzat yep. Shemaev. Yes. Versus Rise McKee. Rise McKee. I'm picking the undefeated Swedish fighter because I don't know either guy and I'm picking the undefeated fighter. You're picking the undefeated fighter? The one and no guy? <laughs> seven and no, not oh, one seven, and oh, seven. I'm sorry. Yeah, seven and oh. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, okay, it's seven and one. Does look similar times. So no, no, it's okay. I, it happens. Yeah. Um, I would say this before we wrap up. Francisco Trinaldo is on the card. He's always been a really good fighter. Mm. Nicholas Dalby is on the card where I just spoke of him. Yep. Jake Collar is on the card against Thomas Spinal. Like That's a semi-decent fight for what it is. Betch Carrera is on the card. I think we all remember her from being yes. knocked out by yep. Ronda Rousey. Exactly, exactly. Yes. And uh, Nathaniel Woods on the card. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel Woods, Woods is, really? Nathaniel Woods is a decent fighter. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. No. It's it's gonna be it, again. It's gonna be some good fights, man. It it really is. Um. And then after that, a lot of fights. It's fifteen fights. Just to <laughs> warn everyone. It's gonna be a long day of watching fights. For literally from two o'clock. So get your get your beer ready, guys. Get your beer. Get your popcorn, and just sit in and watch, man. It's gonna be really nice, man. But um, I think we're gonna wrap it up, uh, uh, Matt, man. Now, now, t- now tell it, tell the, tell the viewers that are listening, man. Tell us where we can find you at. Tell us your handle, man, and and basically what you're about, man. Uh, you can find me uh, at Matt Hunter MCR on all social media platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, that's where you can find me. Same Twitter handle at Matt Hunter MCR. Uh, I am the founder and owner and host of Mixed Combat Radio on YouTube and podcast feeds, predominantly more of a YouTube channel. So go check us out there. Uh, also have a Patreon page if you want to support the channel, uh, patreon.com forward slash Mixed Combat Radio. Uh, and I'm a combat sports guy predominantly, but then again, most of my social media does involve a lot of, uh, very revolutionary politics mm. from a left wing Marxist perspective. So just warning everyone out there, 
it's going to be a perspective and bias on my social media feeds. You can either like it or not. It's whatever. But I do occasionally talk combat sports as well on there because I, I get paid for it, I guess. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. that. You you did me a service. You didn't have to do this, man, but I, I really appreciate it. Um, there, you ha- there you have it, guys. Matt Hunter. He's a very uh, analytical guy when it comes to MMA, man. He knows what he's talking about. But um, this is the Breakfast for Dinner podcast, and I'm your host, EJ. Peace.